So I begin this morning by telling you a story I heard from Mike Glenn. Now, Mike is the pastor of the Brentwood Baptist Church in the greater Nashville area. Does a lot of conferences and blogs and uh, podcasts, and uh, through the years I've grown to appreciate his stuff. And he tells a story out of his own background. When he was in college, he was a member of a fraternity. They had a fraternity house, and so they did a lot of studying together. Uh, however much that happens in a fraternity house. But uh, as it turns out, they had this one class that most of them had to take, and they had, most of them took this one particular professor. And so um, exam every year, uh, he would ask a single question, and that was the entire exam. Now, he worded that question in such a way that you had to know if you were in that class, you had to know everything that he had said and everything you had read from the beginning of class till then. And so it became something, uh, according to Mike, it it became a parlor game around their fraternity house to try to figure out which question the professor was going to ask. I'm not really sure why, because you had to study everything anyway, but it became one of those fun things from one semester to the next. Uh, And then Mike tells the story of this one guy who was in his fraternity who didn't really want to have to study everything. And so he decided that he would try to get into the head of his professor as best he could, figure out what the one question was going to be, and then study only that for the final exam. And that's what he did. And so he convinced himself that the question was going to be this, and so he worked to answer that question, didn't worry about anything else, any other possibilities, and you can imagine his shock when he got into that final exam and he turned the test over and he had studied the wrong question. I would submit to you that that guy had all of the answers to the question nobody was asking that day. I think it may well serve as an object lesson for 21st century Christians when it comes to Easter. I know that what I'm about to say is a little bit shocking, and uh, I'm saying it on purpose. Maybe you'll stick with me long enough to understand what I'm going to be getting at. But I think that there's a possibility that as Christians who are called into a world to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, that when it comes to Easter, this high holy day for us, that we may well be answering questions that the world outside of our walls are not asking us. Let me kind of get behind that a little bit and help you understand what I'm talking about. When we come to Easter, what is it that we're talking about? We come with the facts of the matter the historical fact that we say, and we have our little ways of doing it. We've done it once. Let's do it again. I say, he is risen, and you say, absolutely. Fact. But I suspect, matter of fact, I'm quite confident, based on some discussions I've had through the years, that those people who gather with us outside of the walls on Easter, the world loves Easter. It's a they not to have to go to work. And whether they celebrate Easter or not, everybody seems to be aware of Easter. It's one of the most publicized holidays of all of the Christian calendar outside of the walls of the church. But if we only push the historical fact of Easter, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. If we only push the historical fact I think it may well be that the world outside of us responds with, so what? I don't say that lightly. 
But the reality is that when we say Jesus has risen, he has risen indeed, that ought to be something we say every day. Because the impact of the resurrection is such that it's not limited to one time a year, one day a year. The reality is of what Jesus accomplished for us in that resurrection after the cross is something that we should celebrate every day of our lives. There's got to be something that happens beyond that, though, because I think sometimes it carries little meaning for people once we get past Easter. It's not that we don't really believe that. It's just that practically it seems to play that, that out for us. Let me, let me give you this story to help you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes children reveal our, um, our true level of thinking better than we want them to. Several years ago, I was in East Texas, and I had a Wednesday night Bible study group with children. And actually, the deal was uh, they, they had several different stations every Wednesday night, and so they rotated between these stations. There was a scripture memory part, and there was a fun and games part. And then there was the part that all of them really hated, and that was where they had to go and sit down with the preacher. And so I sat down with these kids on a week in, a week out. As they were learning individual verses, I was teaching them the broad scope of Scripture so that they had the, the picture of what the God's story of salvation is. And this one night, it was close to Easter time, and so I thought, let's have a little experiment with these kids. And so as they came through, uh, this was a third through fifth grade group, if I remember right. And so I sat down with these kids, and I asked them this question. Of all of the days in the year, which one is the most important to you? Which is your favorite day of the whole year? And man, I didn't have to prompt them or anything. They immediately started throwing their hands up. And one of them said, birthday. Another one said, the last day of school. I was in East Texas. I should not have been surprised when this one, this one boy, I mean, he didn't even miss a lick. He said, favorite day of the year, the best day, the most important day of the year is the opening day of deer season. <laughs> you know what did not make the list of most important favorite days of the year for those kids, those church kids? Easter. And so I asked them about that. And they just kind of shook their heads and, and, and like I said, we, kids tell us a little more about what we're teaching them than we think they do. So when I started arguing for them that Easter ought to be the top of the list in every list, the most important favorite day of the year for us based on what Jesus did for us and what we celebrate on Easter, they challenged me on that. Easter's not nearly as important, they said, as Christmas. That might well indicate that we might have a tendency towards celebrating the historical fact on Easter Sunday and then it has no practical implications after that. One biblical scholar is famous for saying that Jesus rose from the grave on that first Easter only to be hidden away again by his people. So the question might rise to the surface this morning. Why Easter? Why did Jesus do it? I want you to go with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm sure that you don't really need to turn there. It's a passage that all of us, I suppose, at least know pieces of it. Maybe most of us know all of it. But I want to read because I don't want to misquote it up here. And you think that I don't know what I'm doing. So let me just go ahead and read John 3, 16 that says, For God so loved the world... 
that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did Jesus do it? Why did he go through the cross? Why did he go through the resurrection? Why did Jesus come? And the answer is because of love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, that he gave his son. So the message I want you to get today is love wins. We probably need to talk about that some. And as a matter of fact, we really kind of need to get behind what we're talking about when we get to love wins as it relates to the Resurrection Sunday. So let me back you up. And Bob mentioned it some in his prayer. And let me just take you back to Friday into the earlier parts of what we call Holy Week. And we've emphasized that well as a community here this week and many times, including a great service on Friday night. If you missed it, I'm sorry that you did that. Our, our music ministry does an incredible job of helping us to worship, especially on days like this, Friday, etc. Great job to all of you. But one of the things that we've done through music and through dramatic stuff and art and the spoken word through the course of the week as we've gone back and worked through some of those specifics of what we call Holy Week. Good Friday, the day that challenges our understanding of the word good, when we celebrate the reality of the cross, celebrates a hard word to use there because when we come to grips with what Jesus Christ did on the cross and God allowed him, God sent him, according to John three sixteen, so that he might be the sacrifice that bridges the gap distance between God and us because of our sin. Jesus Christ purchased our redemption. Jesus Christ covered the atonement price. Jesus Christ on the cross brings life. Love wins. Love wins. We have a hard time sometimes with that. And here's some of my, always some of my concern with these high holy days, that we get so used to having them that we fail to explore them and let them explore us. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he do that? It was because of love. You know, he didn't deserve to do that. You know, typically in the Roman um, system, guys who got crucified deserved to be crucified. They had done something wrong to deserve going there. It was a horrific way to die. Jesus didn't deserve that. As a matter of fact, Jesus deserved quite the opposite of that. Sinless in his his life, the Son of God, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, and yet he went to the cross. In our language, in our world today, we see people who die innocently, And we call that tragic. We call those people heroes. You may have seen the news reports a few years ago of an Indiana couple who were leaving their wedding on their way to their honeymoon. And along the way, they came across a lady who had driven her car off into the ditch. And so the groom, the newly married man, jumped out of his car, went out to help the lady. And as he was pulling her out of the car, uh, three different cars ran over both of them and killed them. Never had the opportunity to live his life as a married man. His wife of only a few hours was suddenly a widow. And we share that story and our hearts go, wow, what a tragedy. He died 
helping somebody out. Scripture says something to us about that. In John chapter 15, verse 13, we read this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, the sacrifice for sin. Love wins. For you and for me, love wins because of what Jesus did. And so maybe part of the problem as we come to our Easter season and our Easter celebrations is that we skim over the love part with Jesus. We so quickly want to jump to the resurrection that we maybe de-emphasize the love that was involved in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So let me remind you of my working definition of love. You've heard this before. If this was a guitar string, I've been playing it six or seven different frets since I've been here, right? This is one of those things that we must understand because our worldly approach to love tends to be uh, conditional. It tends to be consequential. And often it tends to be sickening when we look at it. You know know what I'm talking about. Young people in love, they, oh, you know, just want to write his name a hundred times. Just don't. Just don't. That's not divine love. That's not God's love. The love that wins, the love that was active as God sent Jesus Christ to this world so that we might have life, that love is selfless. It's not about what I get out of that. It's about what I invest out of that. God investing his love and his involvement in you and in me at great cost to himself. That's love. And that love that's invested like that takes that other person, the object of that love, and raises them to levels they could never go on their own. Jesus is the epitome of that love because he reached down, figuratively speaking, he reached down from the cross or he reached out of that empty tomb and he gives us the love of God. Love wins for us this time of the year as a celebration of that. It's more than just, hey, let's acknowledge the historical fact of the resurrection. Some people wouldn't even accept that. But the implication of that for us is that we are the divine recipients. We are the recipients of divine love is the right way to say that. Love wins. So love was the motive behind the son gift, S-O-N gift, John 3, 16. And it comes back, it brings us back to the implications of the resurrection. The resurrection is great. I'm not trying to de-emphasize that today. What we find in the resurrection is the power of God brought to bear on death and conquers what we could never conquer ourselves. I said before, this is a closed system. Nobody gets out alive. But God steps into that reality that is our reality, and he says, oh, no, 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 not so fast. I can handle this. And the resurrection reminds us of that. But when we get behind the historical fact of it and go to the divine intent of it, It's a thoroughly overwhelming reality that God would love me and love you enough to let his son die. Love wins. 
Let me give you a couple of examples of what that looks like, and then we'll be done today. Here's the first one. Let me go to, I'm going I'm to use two of his disciples as examples here, okay? So here's the first one. The first one is that, that disciple named Simon Peter. And most of us will remember him pretty quickly. He's the blue-collar fisherman guy who rose to be the leader of the disciples. And they had followed Jesus around and walked with Jesus, and they had listened to Jesus, and they had been part, part of what Jesus did. And sometimes they were not really the best part of what Jesus did. You know, they were the object lesson sometimes. Simon Peter was, I call him the big mouth disciple, always having something to say, whether it's the right time or the right thing or not, he always had something to say. He's kind of like me, or you, maybe. Simon Peter, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of the cross, that, that fisherman who was a follower of Jesus, he had some lessons to learn. Maybe the best example of that is that Simon Peter was awfully selfish, kind of like we are, and so we find him in that holy week, gathered in a courtyard while just a handful of yards away was Jesus himself on trial for his life. And this same Simon Peter who had braggadociously said that he would be the one who would stand with Jesus no matter what, all of a sudden found himself coming to grips with his own humanity and his own need for love to win. And it didn't win for him as he once, twice, three times denied that he even knew who Jesus was. We know from Scripture that Simon Peter went away from that and he was thoroughly devastated with what he had done. He needed love to win, and it did. Because we know the story well enough to know that after the resurrection, but before the ascension back to heaven, Jesus very pointedly and purposefully went after Simon Peter to let him know that love wins. You can fail Jesus. You may be in here today, and you're as big a failure you think, as Simon Peter was in denying Jesus. And who knows what you've done, but the reality is that you're no different than he is. Love wins for us. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for you. Love wins. And so on the other side of that, of the Love wins to restore Simon Peter. We find a different Simon Peter in the book of Acts than we did at that uh, campfire. Acts chapter 3. Go there with me very quickly, if you will. Acts chapter 3 gives us a picture of what love wins does in the life of a person. Because what we find here, and we'll find it in other places, is that love transforms us. We don't have to be what we've always been. We, we shouldn't be what we've always been because Jesus Christ specializes the power of the resurrection applied into your situation, transforms you like it did Simon Peter. Simon Peter, in chapter 3 of the book of Acts, we read this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John uh, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. You might just stop for a second and think about those people who populate some of the intersections of El Paso, Texas in the 21st century, asking for help. 
That's this guy. Verse 3, again, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I'm a Baptist minister. No, wait a minute. That's not there. That's not there. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. First of all, I'm going to submit to you. That is a risky thing that Simon Peter just did. After all, he's not Jesus, you know. What if he hadn't said the right thing? What if God didn't honor that statement for him? All of a sudden, in a very public way, he had been discredited if it didn't happen. By the way, it did. What could move him to even have the audacity to speak out for Jesus Christ like that? If we read the rest of that story, we'll see that the man was healed. Love wins. Love didn't just win for Simon Peter. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But love won for this guy that day. Simon Peter saw him. Nobody else saw him. Oh, they saw him. And they might have even thrown a few coins at him. But day in, day out, week in, year in, year out, that guy took up his place and depended on the goodwill of other people. But this day's different. Because on this day, this disciple who shows up is one that love had won in his life. And he had followed Jesus around enough and watched Jesus in action enough and listened to what Jesus had to say enough that Simon Peter no longer looked through people and no longer looked around people with need. Simon Peter looked and he saw him and that day love won. Love wins. It's a powerful statement. As powerful as the resurrection is, the motivation behind the resurrection is even more so. More than a historical fact, it is a truth that will thoroughly change you. Love wins because Jesus came. Let me give you another one very quickly. Won't take the time to go to the passage, but let me just lay it out here for you. This is one of my favorite New Testament things. I think I've even mentioned it from the pulpit before. One of these days I'll actually tr- uh, preach that passage. But I love the passage where John, that Peter and John are in this one, but before Jesus was crucified, John had a brother, and together they were known as the Sons of Thunder. Whoa. That's not a compliment, just so you know. Um, We know that because one of the places we find where that's mentioned is as Jesus and his disciples are walking through, uh, heading from one place to another, they go through this village or around this village, and, and the people don't really treat them very well. As a matter of fact, they don't treat them well at all. And Jesus is just taking his disciples, come on, let's go, come on, keep it moving, let's go. But John, the son of thunder, he has different plans. After all, they've been offensive in the way they have treated Jesus and him. And so his solution to the problem is, I, you just, Jesus, you, Jesus, you just give me the go-ahead and I will nuke that town. We'll blow them off of the face of the map. Okay, well, that's 21st century translation. What he actually said was, 
You just say the word, and I will call down fire from heaven on those people. Sound loving to you? Sounds kind of 21st century American to me in some ways. Well, road travel American anyway. <laughs> but for John, love wins. John wrote some epistles at the back. If you go all the way to the back, close to the book of Revelation, you'll find 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But in 1st John chapter 4, verses 7, 8, by the time John writes this, by the way, he may well be the leading voice in all of the early church. If not the leading voice, he certainly was one of the top two or three. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7, 8, as he teaches his church people how to live their lives, the son of thunder says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That sound loving to you? For John, love wins. You see, love today, love can win in you. The meaning of Easter is such that God wants love to win in you. If you happen to be here and you've not really bought into this whole Jesus thing, I'm going to encourage you to spend a little time working your way through the Gospels and seeing about this one whom God sent, his own son named Jesus. Because of love, he was sent. And he transforms all who follow him into a life of love. Love wins in you. But the truth of Scripture is love has to win through you also. Simon, Peter, and John both show that to us. And we could line up millions of Christians since the resurrection who would argue exactly that. Love wins in me, but because of that, it has to win through me in the lives of other people also. Love wins. Unless, unless you ignore it. You see, part of the love of God is that it doesn't force itself on you. He offers it. And this same Jesus whose resurrection we celebrate today stands before you and he offers to you life. Not me, you know better than that. But wherever you are and whatever's going on in your life, that same Jesus steps into your field of vision and he says, what will you do with me? Love wins, unless it doesn't. And the only reason it doesn't is because we choose not to let it. What's your choice today? Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you to personalize this message. Do you know Jesus Christ, the risen one? Has he changed your life? If we really wanted to know that, you know, we would ask the people around you how much love wins through you. If you don't know him, the invitation of Easter is he's right here in front of you. Will you accept the gift that he offers? And so, Father, we ask that you would change hearts, 
transform lives through your love right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing, you come.